Amen. Take your copy of God's Word once more and turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Hear the word of the living God. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now once more that you would incline our hearts to hear as your word is preached, that you would awaken us, that you would convict us, guide us, counsel us, give us words for the week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What would you say that Jesus' life was like? I mean, we know what Jesus did. We know that he died on the cross for sinners. We know that he perfectly obeyed God's law according to his humanity as our redeemer and mediator. But how would you describe Jesus' life? What would you say marked the life of Christ? Jesus, indeed, had a very busy life of ministry. In fact, just the first few chapters of the book of Luke detail up to this particular text this evening, a very busy beginning in ministry. For instance, in Luke chapter 4, just one chapter prior to our text, Jesus is tempted by Satan. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and following, he is rejected by his own townspeople. In verses 31 to 42 of Luke, he is performing miracles. He's casting out demons. In chapter 5, he makes an important decision and he calls his disciples. And then nearer to our text this evening, in chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, Jesus cleanses a leper, one who was afflicted by physical illness. Notice the text, and it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Isn't that what he said to us? Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. There is this battle with Satan in the wilderness, this rejection by his hometown, miracles, casting out demons, calling the disciples, healing a leper. And then our text, Jesus withdrew often and prayed. Right after our text, there is the forgiving of a paralytic and the healing of this paralytic. You see, Jesus was busy in ministry, in teaching and in service, and yet in the midst of it all, what does the text say that he does? And this takes us to our question with which we began 
what would you say that Jesus' earthly life was like? Well, the text says that he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That word withdrew tells us something, doesn't it? He left others and he left the tasks at hand and he went on his own. And it says that he went to the wilderness. He left the popularity of the crowds. If you look just at our text, the, the hordes of people are flocking to him and he is running to God in prayer. The text says that he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke's gospel account has a theme of prayer. William Hendrickson in his commentary on the gospel of Luke notes that more than any other gospel, the gospel of Luke focuses on prayer with some 17 specific references to it. Prayer marks the gospel of Luke, and in many of those occasions, it is Christ who is praying. Now look at our text closely. Verse 16 begins with the word, so. Most other English translations render that word something like, but. There's a contrast here. There is the note that there's busyness, people are coming to him, but there's a pattern that Jesus is exhibiting. They come to him, but he goes to God in prayer. Perhaps that word but is the best English word to render what is undergirding this text. Jesus was marked in his life by prayer. So a question for you then, friend, is your life, including your spiritual walk, marked by prayer? Certainly your life is not fuller than Christ's life. Certainly you do not have the busyness to attend to that Christ had to attend to. Do we dare think that our lives, our homes, our service in ministry doesn't need prayer if his did? Notice what the text says. This happens multiple places. Jesus will be in the midst of doing something, and so he will withdraw to pray. Or he will be about to engage in a particular kind of service or ministry or work, and so he will pray. This is the sinless one who exhibits communion with God. Now, of course, we can examine our own lives and we can see that our pattern may be to pray often or it may not be. We have a model in Christ's life. Now, one theological note, and then I just want us to consider some lessons based on this pattern we see in Christ. Because it's not just Luke 5.16, it's also Luke 6.12. It's also Luke 9.10. It's also Luke 9.28. It's also Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus is praying. That's his pattern. So here's the theological note. Isn't Jesus the second person of the Trinity? Well, Jesus is his earthly name. Jesus is the name of the second Adam. Jesus is the name of Mary's son. But yes, Jesus, the God-man, according to his divinity is the second person of the Trinity. So we might be tempted to read this text and think to ourselves, well, I mean, I understand what you're saying, preacher, but Jesus was, he is God, so we're not. So of course he's having communion with God, but we're, we're not meant to read these verses as the second person of the Trinity, having conversation with the first person of the Trinity as if there's some kind of division between the persons in their communication. This is 
Jesus Christ, the God-man, according to his humanity, praying to God. This is the second Adam, as a man, praying in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of his ministry. You remember, boys and girls, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And sometimes when we read the New Testament, he's doing things that sound very human. (laughs) And that's because he was and is still fully human, like unto us in every way, except without sin. So don't read this and disregard it as Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, having communion with the first person of the Trinity. No, this is Jesus, according to his humanity, praying, relying on God, beseeching God, pressing in to God in prayer. And if Jesus the one who would be the Savior for all who trust in him, went to prayer so often. Why do we not do the same? A couple of lessons then. Notice again the text. So, or, but he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. A couple of lessons for us. The first is this. It's simple, really. Jesus relied on prayer. Jesus, as he walked on the earth, relied on prayer. Look at one chapter later in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. The text reads this way. Now it came to pass in those days that when he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Have you ever read the gospel of Luke or any of the gospels and you see Jesus praying? You think to yourself, Well, again, maybe this is just because Jesus is God. No, this is Jesus, the perfect man, exhibiting the perfect prayer life. It came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus relied on prayer. It was his lifeblood. He prayed regularly. But secondly, a lesson for us to see is this. Jesus did not skip prayer for tasks. How often in our lives are we so tempted to think that we don't have time to pray because all we have time to do is do things? But Jesus didn't skip prayer for tasks. Notice practically, firstly, that he took time to do it. Sometimes it was all night, Sometimes it was after ministry or before ministry. In our text, this description, this one-verse description of Jesus happens in the middle of performing a great miracle and about to perform another. Teaching the crowds, and they're coming to him. How tempting would it have been? Look at verse 15 of chapter 5. The report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now think practically about this. Think very humanly about this for just a moment. There's a lot of work to be done. I mean, I have a lot of teaching to do. I have a lot of healing to do. I need to get an early start. I don't really have time to pray. But what does Jesus do? The text says, they're coming to him There's plenty to do, but he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Notice practically that he seemed to always have prayer on his mind 
It was just part of his rhythm to pray. The world's, in one sense, busiest man relied on prayer and didn't skip it for tasks. Now, when I say busy, I don't mean sinfully busy. I don't mean idolatrously busy. I just mean there was a lot to do. After all, hadn't he come to be the savior of the world? And yet he's relying on prayer. He's not skipping prayer for particular tasks. But I want you to notice thirdly, as we continue from our text into other parts of Luke, that Jesus carefully prayed after ministry was finished. Now again, this might seem startling to us if we actually take the time to meditate on it. He will do a ministry task and then he will pray. Let's skip over to Luke chapter 9. Another account where Jesus is seen praying. Luke chapter 9 and verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Jesus carefully gathers his disciples who he sent out to do work and ministry. In other places, Jesus is marked, for instance, in the book of Mark, as teaching and then going to prayer. Think about our own lives before God. Do we consider prayer as crucial? Let me give to you a couple of words from Brothers of bygone eras, John Owen, for instance, writes this, speaking to preachers and about preaching. To preach the word and not follow it with prayer constantly and frequently is to believe its use, neglect its end, and cast away all the seed of the gospel at random, end quote. I don't know if you pick up on what John Owen is saying. He's saying to preach the word and then not to follow it with prayer. Or for all of us, perhaps, to hear the word preached and then not to follow it with prayer. It's essentially, ultimately, to cast it away, to neglect its end. Or Charles Bridges, writing in the early 1800s, quote, We want to be as deeply concerned after the conclusion as at the commencement of our work. Have not some convictions been probably awakened or strengthened by the strokes of the hammer that has just been uplifted? May not some cases of transient impression be charged upon our secret neglect of labor to drive in the nail further when it has once entered? Charles Bridges is talking to ministers. He's encouraging them to see the deep need to not only preach sermons, but to pray for the effect of the sermons after they have been preached. This would apply not only to preachers, but to listeners. Jesus teaches and heals and often prays. Have we considered, brothers and sisters, that we ought to pray after ministry is finished? Bridges continues later on in his work, The Christian Ministry, quote, Nothing will give such power to our sermons as when they are the sermons of many prayers, end quote. I reflected on that this week and came to this conclusion. (laughs) 
I must pray more after I preach. And you must pray more after you hear preaching. Now I can say that because none of us, including me, will ever exhaust the ministry of prayer. But if Jesus is marked by praying regularly, even after ministry, we ought to be. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 28. We read this. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Well, the transfiguration is about to happen. We've studied the transfiguration elsewhere in our series in Second Peter. But the transfiguration is about to happen. Jesus has just finished teaching where he says strong words to his congregation. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He continues to teach. And then in verse 28, we read this. He takes three and goes up on a mountain to pray. Jesus carefully prayed after ministry was finished. We ought to do the same. When we minister to someone within the body, we ought to pray. When we hear the preaching of Christ's word, we ought to pray. When we preach Christ's word to people, we ought to pray. And the the theme of Jesus' pattern of prayer is not so much, even though there is (laughs) by implication an encouragement for us, not so much the quantity of hours that Jesus prayed. It seems to be rather that the focus is on the rhythm of Jesus' prayer life. You see, it might be tempting to hear a passage like Luke and Luke 6.12 and think, well, Jesus stayed up all night. I must not be praying right if I don't stay up all night. But the focus, brothers and sisters, is not on the number of hours that Jesus prayed, but rather that all throughout his ministry, he was praying. There was a rhythm of prayer before ministry, after ministry, before being attacked, after being attacked, before transfiguration. There was this rhythm of prayer. So what do we see thus far? Number one, Jesus relied on prayer. Secondly, Jesus did not skip prayer for tasks or for work. Thirdly, Jesus carefully prayed after ministry was finished. Let me press this one step further. It would be very tempting for us. It is very tempting for us to say that we do not have time to pray because there's so much we have to do. These words are not unique to me, but I'm sure you've heard it said that we ought not say that we don't have time to pray. We ought to say that we don't have time not to pray. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, prayed regularly. Well, this pattern, this rhythm of Jesus' prayer life continues, doesn't it? And I want us to see a fourth thing. For this, we have to go towards the end of his life in the book of Luke, but that is this. Prayer carried Christ through the end. Prayer carried Christ through the end. Turn all the way to Luke chapter 22. We often think about Jesus' life in stages redemptively, don't we? We read of Jesus' life, we see of his birth in some of the Gospels, and we think, ah, incarnation. We see of Jesus' temptation and his subsequent ability to keep God's law, and we think, ah, that's my perfect righteousness. We see his crucifixion, and we think, ah, there's my atonement. We see his resurrection, and we think, ah, there's, there's my promised resurrection. We see his ascension, and we think, ah, he's enthroned on high. 
and I in him, Ephesians chapter 1. You know, the Gospels, while they do point us to all that Christ has done for us, they also lay out the life of Christ. Sometimes we read them and we almost divide them in such a way that it's, well, this is what this means and this is what that means. But think about the fact that Jesus, truly God, fully God, truly man, fully man, had a rhythm of life. Jesus was facing death. What did Jesus do? What did the perfect man do? The perfect second Adam do at the end of his life when death was near? Well, for that, look at Luke 22, verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed that his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Now, if you've been reading the Gospel of Luke up through the first 21st chapters, by the time you get to chapter 22, you ought to say he's doing again what he always does. He's praying, the text says, verse 42. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, let me just insert here one theological note. We say this often here in our church when we get to texts like this, because it is a passage of Scripture that is sometimes muddled in our day. This is not the second person of the Trinity with a different will than the first person of the Trinity. This is Jesus Christ, according to his humanity, praying to God. You see, God is one God with one divine will. Jesus here, when he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's not saying there's perhaps a division between the first and the second persons of the Trinity. He's not saying that at all. According to his humanity, his human will, he's crying out, if there be any other way, but then he's doing what we so often fail to do. He's praying perfectly as a man. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. Sadly, some English versions do not have those two verses. But verse 45 says this, When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. Then the text moves into the betrayal. Prayer carried Christ through the end. This was his pattern in life and in death. So brothers and sisters, from the example of Christ tonight, what I want you to see is Jesus' pattern. Not so, many, not so much the hours not so much the implication that you and I ought to stay up all night and pray, although there may be seasons for that, 
but rather that there was a rhythm in Christ's perfect life that we ought to emulate. If the God-man, if the Savior relied on prayer, ought we not to rely on prayer? If the Savior regularly was unwilling to skip prayer and saw it as crucial, ought we ought to consider our own rhythm of life and pray? Pray before ministry, pray after ministry, pray before service, pray after service, pray before we hear the word preached, pray after we hear the word preached. And wouldn't it be good for us to develop the kind of prayer life that would carry us through the end? Well, I want to take you to one other instance where Jesus prays. And the reason that I want to do this is because Jesus actually gives us a little bit of the content of one of his prayers. And the reason to take you to the content of one of his prayers is because if you're like me, you'll hear a message like this and you'll think, that's true, I don't pray as I ought. And so for that, I want to close with this fifth lesson for us. In your own lack of prayer... Rest in the prayers of Christ. Related to our theme, but slightly different, we see Jesus in Luke chapter 22 praying. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. It's not so much that we see him kneeling in prayer or pulling away from his disciples in prayer, but what do we see but the content of his prayer? Now catch this, Peter, who is like many of us, busy, perhaps sometimes containing a zeal for God that is not always tempered with experience or knowledge, Peter enters the scene. And this is what we see. The disciples are arguing about greatness. And in verse... 31, we read this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. No need to pray, Lord. (laughs) I've got this. Verse 34. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Now, we've highlighted this before, but just a, a word of note. When Jesus says in verse 31, Satan has asked for you. The word you there in the Greek is plural. You could translate this. Jesus has, uh, Satan has asked for you all. He wants all of you, my disciple. He's he's asked that, that he may sift all of you like wheat. The lot of you. But then in verse 32, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. The you there is now singular. And that's important. We can't see it in our English renderings. But the you is now singular. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. 
And then notice Jesus is praying, even believing the outcome. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And we see that, don't we? Peter, indeed, is upheld by the intercession of Christ. But I tell us to rest in the prayers of Jesus and our own prayerlessness. Because Jesus' content here is to pray for one who will fail. You will fail in your own work as a follower of Christ in the work of prayer. But I want us to remember that in all of the prayers of Christ, one of the things that we see is that he makes intercession for those who fail. But again, notice Peter, how bold he was for action. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter wasn't ready. He didn't know that, but he wasn't ready. But Jesus' intercession, his prayer for Peter, upholds him. Now, I would submit to you that if you leave Luke's gospel there, place a finger and turn over to John's gospel, we won't do it, but you land in about John 17, you will see that Peter is not the only person for whom Christ prayed. Actually, you are listed not by name, but by grouping. You are listed in John 17. Jesus prays for his disciples and all the people down through the ages who will believe in him through their report. Jesus not only intercedes for Peter, he intercedes for all believers. And you see, Jesus' intercession for us is an intercession that upholds us by his work when we do well and when we fail. And one of the ways in which we will fail is that we will not pray as we ought. Rest in the prayers of Jesus in your prayerlessness. Just to review, Jesus' life was a life wherein he relied on prayer. Unlike most of us, Jesus didn't say that he didn't have time to pray. He was too busy to pray. He didn't skip prayer for tasks. Jesus carefully prayed after ministry was finished. Brothers and sisters, let us not buy into the temptation that our own service is sufficient without the Spirit of God. Let us not think that our simple listening or our preaching of the Word of Christ is sufficient, but let us bathe that in prayer. Just practically pray tomorrow morning, Lord, from my own heart and the heart of my family, my, my wife, my husband, my, my children, if, if I have them, Lord, I, I pray that the word that we heard preached yesterday, morning and evening, if we were there at both, would, would be a word that you would cause to take root in our hearts. Take your sermon notes. Most of the sermons we have here have outlines. I heard last night the minister preach that Jesus relied on prayer. Lord, I pray to you that you would help me to rely on prayer. Here, you hear our brother Blake preach from the book of Judges. And there is this instance where we hear the word that Gideon started well, but he didn't end well. Lord, preserve me to the end. Help me not to fall into idolatry like Gideon did at the end. And you pray about what you've heard. Carefully pray after ministry is finished. Cultivate a life of prayer because prayer indeed will carry you through the end. Oh, make no mistake, it will be the Spirit of God that will do the carrying, but one of the means that he will use is prayer. 
And when you find in yourself a lack of perfect praying, a lack of this rhythm, when you say, I hear Pastor Ryan preaching tonight and I don't know the last time that I've really prayed well. You could do one of two things. You could walk out and you could say, I'm going to try to do better. (laughs) Or you could say, all hope is lost. I'll never develop a good rhythm of prayer. But another option for you would be, Christ holds me fast. Christ makes intercession for his people, just like he did for Peter. The word says that he's prayed for all people who have trusted in him. Jesus knows my sins, including my prayerlessness. So I rest on him, and I am free to pray. There's not a long kind of process of making self-atonement before I can have comfort again. No, we confess our sin, and we move forward. We just get up, rest on Christ, and we move forward. You may say, well, it's been months, preacher, since I've really prayed very well. Okay, confess it to Christ. He is your Savior. His perfect prayer life is credited to your account. So pray. Not only do you need it, not only is it your lifeblood, it was Christ's pattern. and He's freed you. He's freed you by his grace to pray. Have you ever found yourself realizing that you're lacking in an area and the realization of how long you've been lacking in that area beats you down and so you, you're just paralyzed. You don't move forward. The glorious gospel of Christ means that anytime, anytime the Spirit brings to mind after a second or after several years, anytime the Spirit convicts me of sin, I am free to rest on Christ, to confess that sin, to take glorious comfort in the gospel, and to stand up and to move forward differently. Let us rely on prayer. Let us be like Christ and often withdraw from all that is the busyness of our lives and pray. Let's pray together. Living God, we pray that you would help us to pray. The Lord Christ taught us to pray, but the Lord also gave us a pattern that we can follow, placing a priority on prayer. Lord, perhaps one of the most challenging parts of our prayerlessness is the prideful reliance on self. We pray that you would cause us to see our need for Christ and to see the gift that his cross and his resurrection has brought to us, that we have access day or night to the throne of grace. Help us, Lord, to pray to pray short prayers throughout our day, to pray long prayers, to have a rhythm of prayer that will carry us through the end so that we are praying throughout all of our days and then one day Christ is with us face to face. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.